In fandom's flame and nerdy light, let our passions now take flight. Embracing life with all our might, we are geeks and we're all right. Hello everybody, I am your host Justin Hunt, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, Highland Division, and you are listening to the Kilted Lantern Podcast. I would normally be being joined by a couple of uh, one or more guests, um, however this being the uh, flagship episode, um, not even our first full official episode, I'm unfortunately going to have to just go solo on this one and I am hoping for everybody's sake that that won't be the case as uh, the normal. However... Um, this is giving me a chance for you to tell you for me to tell you a little bit about uh, myself. I am a Christian minister, but this is not a religious podcast. Um, I won't shy away from the subject, but at the same time, it's not the primary source of discussion. Um, in addition to that, I work a couple of the jobs. Um, nothing too major, but I'm also an avid cosplayer and kilt aficionado, as it were. Um, as a direct result of that. It's going to be customary for me to give a cosplay tip and a um, kilt fashion tip at the top of every episode. Furthermore, it's also customary for me to include a uh, short little segment on uh, important dates in geek history as it uh, correlates with the month that each episode will be dropping, ideally which will be on the 15th of each. Now that being said, we're going to move forward a little bit here. Um, we're just going to start right off the top here with your uh, cosplay tip. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I am not a man of means. I am just uh, not a very affluent individual. So when I cosplay, I have to constantly be thinking about the expense of the matter. No good costume is cheap, and the parts that you pick up for it that are cheap generally um, reflect negatively on your portrayal. Now, as an example, I ended up paying around $90, including shipping and such, for a specialized chest emblem for my Kilted Lantern costume. Now, knowing that I'm not a very affluent individual, $90 seemed a lot for me at the time. Bear in mind, this was my first um, real custom piece of cosplay. It was made for me by Hazmat uh, Creations on... Hazmat Cosplay Creations on Etsy, which... Great shop, solid owner, great guy... Um, he, he really is passionate about what he does, and if you get a chance to patronize his store a little bit, please stop on over and go ahead and do that. Um, but anyhow, his chest emblem that he made me was fantastic. It was perfect for my needs, and I try to incorporate in as many costumes as I can, while chest emblems are traditionally glued to the costume. Well, my initial kilted lantern costume has a zipper that runs up the front, and so that's not really an option for me to glue it squarely in the chest where it should be for a Green Lantern emblem. Well, to solve that problem, and as well as give me the option to move the chest piece, which is an expense that I don't want to spend on every individual costume, um, I decided I was going to add Velcro to the back into the section of the chest that it was going to attach to. It's important for your Velcro to make it all the way to the edges of the uh, chest emblem, and the grade of Velcro you need is dependent on the weight. Mine's a fairly heavy weight, very raised up chest emblem. However, there are many emblems out there that are made out of a lighter weight rubber or latex, or even in some cases foam, where that simply will not do. For those, I'd recommend that you do the uh, 
lighter grade, light duty Velcro. And, and to save yourself a little bit of time, I also highly recommend getting the kind with uh, double-sided adhesive tape um, sort of just attached to it already, where you just peel the back off it and stick it to the stick it to the item that you're intending to Velcro. That is really the best tip I can give you towards saving a little bit of money when you're putting together your cosplays, especially if you're expecting to do um, variations on the theme. Because in addition to my Kilted Lantern uh, cosplay, I'm also working on um, a potential Isamot Call cosplay. I uh, do a medieval Green Lantern where I have that attached to the surcoat, which is the outer covering, cloth covering for armor in uh, 13th century armors. But I'll, I'll spare you those historical details um, because I'm also an avid living historian. But anyhow, I digress. So, if you're going to do variations on a theme and you're going to potentially be using that same piece over and over again on different costumes, that Velcro really saves you a little bit of money because you can swap it out on each individual costume. And it really does help out a lot. Now, I am also an avid kilt wearer, as we've mentioned before. Um, I am descended of the Clan Ferguson, and I, I wear that tartan, as well as a member of the clergy, so I wear that tartan as well. And a few other side ones, but we're not going to get into that too much because that can be a subject for a different day as it pertains to this kilt fashion tip. The first tip I want to bring out is another way to save money by preventing um, unnecessary wear and tear on your kilts. Um, kilt pins are an accepted piece of um, attire, an accessory as it will, or I like to refer to it as my manly uh, bling. That being said... I uh, had to figure this out a little bit on my own, but there's many uh, well-attested uh, forums and blogs and such that discuss this matter, as well as many Highland attire guides. Only pin through the top apron. When you put on a kilt, the cleats go in the back. The two aprons overlap. The top apron is the only one that gets the kilt pin on the corner. That is because the apron is supposed to be weighted down by the kilt, as tradition goes. Of course, as it turns out, the old uh, safety pin style was actually used to help hold the kilt up and in place. But never mind, the, the, and I'll spare you all the tradition and history that goes into how that happened with Wayne Victoria and a soldier whose flap was uh, literally blowing in the wind. The pin itself is designed to hold the, kind of weight the corner down, and I have several really, really nerdy ones that I like to wear. Um, my most recent uh, acquisition was a uh, Jedi kilt pin made for me by a member of the Brotherhood of the Kilt uh, Facebook page. But anyhow, that particular item is designed to just go through that top apron. Now, that will help hold it down on windy days, but also um, you would think that since that's the function, you'd want to pin it through to the bottom apron and help hold it shut. And I'm not going to say that I never have done that, but I found that when you do that, it restricts movement. You'd think with something with that many pleats in the back and that much extra cloth like a kilt has, that wouldn't be an issue, but I assure you that it is. Um, and it can cause unnecessary strain on the material because as you sit... It'll actually pull the fibers and slowly work holes into your kilt. And nobody wants that. Nobody has wants to replace a $200 kilt. No one wants to replace even one of the uh, eBay cheap kilts, you know, which I assure you I'm not above wearing those. In fact, the one I wear with my kilted lantern is a Stuart hunting that, yeah, it's an eBay wonder. But that being said, just don't pin through both because that will cause problems long in the long run and it's unnecessary because even if that front flap does blow open you have another one that goes all the way to the other side if you're wearing your kilt properly so there's your piece of advice on that 
Now, the other thing that I mentioned is the This Month in Geek History. Now, September's a busy month for geeks. Um, I, I can't even begin to cover everything that happened in September, so I'm going to try to stick with just more or less the highlights here a little bit. Um, September 8th, for example, is Star Trek Day. Because September 8th, back in 1966, the very first episode of Star Trek aired on television. Now, I'm a big uh, Star Wars fan, but I'm also a big Star Trek fan. Those who say you have to choose, you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. We embrace life with all our mights here at the Kilted Lantern, and that is one of those things I do. In fact, people that have only one fandom kind of make me sad. However, each to each their own. But another thing that happened in September is, on September 14th, 1741, George Frederick Handel finished the Messiah after a 23-day crunch session. Yes, a little over three weeks, Handel produced one of the most well-loved pieces of classical music out there. So, I don't know how really geeky or nerdy that is. I know there's a lot of classical music nerds out there, myself included, that really love that piece of information. But it's also important for any of you that are in college to remember that when your teachers tell you you really should spend more time on your assignments, a well-used amount of crunch time on a subject that you're familiar with can still get a job done. So never give up, never surrender. And if you don't understand why that reference is, this may not be the show for you. Now, that's not the only thing that happened. In fact, there's actually something that's very near to my heart. Um, but before I get on to that, before I get into the part that's near, especially near to my heart, I want to talk a little bit about something else that happened. On September 15th, Agatha Christie was born. Yes, September 15th, 1890. And in her roughly 86 years of age, she wrote nearly 100 books. Now, 100 uh, books is a lot to write in that short of a time, and it included such classics as Murder on the Orient Express. And she gave us the wonderful character, Hercule Perrault. Now, I'm a big uh, PBS fan, and so my introduction to Perrault was actually through PBS, and I went through and started reading her books afterwards. Um, he appeared in 33 of her stories, uh, specifically her... Um, Let's see. Yeah, and many of her novels. Now, I believe she had him appearing in 33 novels, if my uh, count is correct. A couple of short stories, and, couple, and two uh, by a couple, I mean 50 short stories, and two plays. Now, he's, like I said, the uh, title character of the PBS series Agatha Christie's Perot. And he has been portrayed by no less than 26 different people over the course of the years. Now, we're not talking just like your run-of-the-mill hack actors that you expect to see in television specials. No, we're talking Charles Lawton, Orson Welles, John Malkovich, although he was only a radio voice, um, Tony Randall, Peter Ustinoff, and one that's especially near to a Tolkien nerd like myself, Ian Holmes. Well, Ian Holmes, not Holmes. I always mess that up, I'm sorry. And speaking of Ian Holm, who played the character of Bilbo Baggins in the wonderful Peter Jackson adaptations of The Lord of the Rings, 
Another thing that uh, happens in uh, September, on September 21st, 1937, the book The Hobbit was published. Yes, the wonderful book that started me down my absolutely raging Tolkien obsession was published. Um, I'll, I'll get into that in just a minute here, but the next thing that needs to be noted is Hobbit Day is in September on the 22nd. I'm going to be uh, working my way through uh, as much as I can of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers for that one. And I'm not talking the movie, I'm talking the book. The movies are great, but I need to spend time reading. I, I enjoy it immensely, and that was my introduction. Well, The Hobbit was my introduction, but the books were my introduction. Um, but, well, with the exception of the animated movie, but we'll get there. Now... Hobbit Day is, uh, for those who aren't in the know, and for those who are, I'm just going to repeat something you probably already know. Um, September um, 22nd marks the shared birthday of Bilbo and Frodo Baggins, the two main, well, main-ish characters of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Now, that's usually celebrated by people, you know, banging at the moon and reciting Tolkien poetry and all kinds of fun stuff. I'd love to have a Hobbit theme party. Unfortunately, the current state of things globally really does not allow for that. Um, and as a result, I kind of want to take a minute today with the subject uh, a little bit later after this segment where I'd normally be interviewing others or hosting a panel, as it were, on a subject. Um... I'd normally be doing that, and well, for the topic today, we're going to be talking about The Hobbit and how it affected me as a child, and even further still as an adult. Um, today is our Tolkien Day special as a result of that. However, before we get out of the This Month in Geek History, I should also point out that the September 8th thing, and I found this out after I already wrote my notes, so it's kind of tacked in there, but it marks the 25th anniversary because in 1995, Braveheart was released on September 8th in the UK. Now, as a living historian who portrays events in that era, I can tell you that movie is a hot mess. I, I can't watch it without getting headaches or laughing my head off. I have to take it as laughter because the fight scenes are really amazing. And it helped to spur an interest in Scottish culture that, quite frankly, makes my Kilted Lantern cosplay even possible. Because without interest, products wouldn't be sold. And so that really set things going on that, and I have to be appreciative of that detail. And I can't speak out against the intent of the actors or directors or writers or anything like that. But I can just tell you from a historical stance, that movie's a hot mess. But it is important for a geek who might happen to enjoy those types of movies. And as a historian, for those who like nitpicking movies, that's how I get out. That's how I do my thing. And it's also important... Uh, for those who indulge in Scottish culture, because it really did help spur that forward. So, we're, with that, we're going to move on to our next segment here. Um, our next segment is uh, what Tolkien means to me, more specifically what The Hobbit means to me. And I, I just want to really take a moment to appreciate everything that J.R.R., even his son Christopher, even though I don't, that didn't necessarily agree with his uh, stance on running the estate, um, they really gave a lot, and it helped shape who I am. I remember all the way back in the, uh, it must have been the late 80s or early 90s, because I was about, uh, 
I would have had to been the early 90s because I was probably about uh, nine years old. And I was born in 83, so... Yeah, it would have been the early 90s. Um, I believe it was TNT was running um, the animated Rankin-Bass Hobbit from the 70s. Now, why they were running it, I don't know. All I know is that my stepdad, who I, I've been blessed, I had a dad that loved me, and a step, I have a stepdad that uh, also loves and encourages me and, and all of my geekiness and always has. And he knew that I was interested in the swords and dragons and all that kind of fun stuff, as many young boys are. And he showed me this Hobbit cartoon. He goes, hey, you, this might be something you would enjoy. So I watched it, and I just fell in love with it. And I went on and on and on and on and on about it. And then my stepdad said something to me that I don't think he understood the impact it was going to end up having. He goes, well, if you like that, the book is better. And he was infinitely correct in that assertion. Now, I, of course, went and I read the book. Here I am, all of nine years old, reading this book. And it blew my mind. It, it truly just knocked me on my rear end. And like I said, it sent me down my Tolkien track. I've, I don't own all of the Middle-Earth Legendarium stuff or even all the other works that uh, were pu published uh, with him as the author. But I, I'm slowly working on that collection because I'm insisting on getting good volumes for my collection stance. Um, until then, I'm just going to continue reading the uh, paperbacks off of my copies that I have. Um, my, my copy of The Hobbit's actually more duct tape than it is uh, anything else. But uh, the, the book The Hobbit, like I said, I went out and I got it from the library and I read it. And it, it just bestilled my little nine-year-old heart. Then a couple of years later, because on the back page of that copy of The Hobbit says, Why stop here? Follow the enchantment with the Lord of the Rings. A couple of years later, I was at a Scholastic Book Fair. How I do miss those days. A 20 spot, and I was walking out there like I own the place. But I went in, and I ended up buying the uh, boxed set of The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings in three volumes. So, there's a four-volume total box set. And like I said, it, it's more duct tape and well wishes than it is anything else, but it's also a lot of memories. I'm currently on my 17th read-through of The Lord of the Rings, and I, I've lost track of how many times I've read The Hobbit because I'm telling you, I'm 36 years old, and, I, and I've just started reading it voraciously from the age of nine on. And, and with all the others, but you know, those books really shaped who I am. You see, I don't think that I would be where I'm at now, either as a minister, a cosplayer, a geek even. I don't know where I would be without that inspiration in my life, you see. And, and by the way, I don't believe in spoilers for any book that's over 50 years old. So if you're going to uh, have problems with spoilers, I, I would like to apologize in advance. I, I don't have this completely scripted, and so therefore, I can't guarantee there won't be some. But the character of Bilbo Baggins... Um, and his whole, in a way, coming of age. He started his journey at the age of, I believe, 33. And in Hobbit society, that's when you actually become an adult. Now, Bilbo was a very homebody-ish kind of person, just as I actually kind of like to be. I, I love the idea of just kind of settling in with a good book for the night, lots of food, um, company on a 
as-needed basis. Um, I, I, I'm not a very social person. I, I try to be, and if I'm ever rude or anything like that, I apologize, but I assure you that's not my goal. I try hard to be sociable. Um, but at the end of the day, I like being able to just settle in quietly with a good book with my dog at my side. Um, good old Loki, named after the Norse character, not the comic book character. Um, but having him curl up beside me, and we just sit there, and I sip on whatever it is I have me drinking. Usually it's Mountain Dew or tea, big tea fan. And I just pull up a book, and I just start reading. And I really enjoy that aspect of life, as did Bilbo Baggins. However, he needed to learn how to come to grips with his other side of his nature, his adventurous side of his nature, and go out there and get things done that needed to be done. And through the intervention of a meddlesome wizard and a party of 13 dwarves, he managed to do that. Um, and he set events into motion that, if you are familiar with the Lord of the Rings, make perfect sense. Um, Sauron's war would have been way different had Smaug not been destroyed. Um, and, and so Gandalf kind of wound up a bunch of dwarves and sent them at it and, and caused some rage or commotion, but he successfully got rid of the dragon and in the process found the One Ring. And it's important to understand that First and first time finding this information out, I didn't know that ring was anything special other than just an invisibility ring. And then when I found out it was this other thing in the Lord of the Rings, it also just, like, knocked me back. But this aspect of a balance between two aspects of my life um, has really helped me focus on what I do. Um, you see, so many times in life we have to deal with people. And like I said, I'm not the most sociable, but I try. But as we deal with people, we oftentimes have to compartmentalize. Everybody's allowed to have a bad day. Anybody that says that you need to be on your best behavior at all times and you can never have an off day, those people just want to make you feel bad. But we often do times do have to compartmentalize for whatever reason. I spent many years working in a restaurant as a display cook. Uh, and display cooks deal directly with um, customers. Um, it, it's similar to hibachi, only with different other, well, other different functions thrown in there. However, that uh, being said, it, it is important to understand that I had to compartmentalize a lot. The customers didn't care if I was tired. They cared if the food wasn't good. They cared if I was rude. But they didn't care if I was tired because they don't think like that. The customer just doesn't. I try to be mindful. And I'm sure a lot of them also try to be mindful. But ultimately, our times cannot negatively affect someone else's and it's rude to just think that we can on a whim well this balance between the two natures is expressed throughout the length of the hobbit when he has to balance his adventurous side which when he keeps it unchecked will often lead him into dangerous situations with his homebody side that simply makes him miserable when he can't have those comforts and he feels a lack of motivation I find myself struggling with those things. So his coming of age is this coming together of those two features, which are very unique in Hobbits indeed, and I'll let you discover all that because I don't want to bore you with a huge history lesson and anthropology section on Hobbits themselves. So I'll forbear that at this time, but like I said, the Hobbit itself affected me very deeply as, uh, as a child. 
and, and I still enjoy reading it, even with its tra-la-la-lally elves that don't quite fit into how we think of elves come Lord of the Rings. Um, but there's so much whimsy in there. There's so much great stuff that if, if you have children, it's important that they tackle that work. Um, ten is usually the average age that people suggest it. Um, I, I took it on a little bit earlier than that. But I, I, I am a voracious reader when I get the chance. Um, so we also have the nature of it as a, as a work that adults can enjoy. Now, it is childish um, because it was written for children. But the themes that are in it can range anywhere from dark and scary to adventure and whimsy to downright sad and it's because the author did not believe in speaking down to children too much. One of his regrets later in life as the author looking at the work is he said he, th he spoke down to the children too much in The Hobbit and he tried to do a rewrite on it and it didn't work out for him and I'm kind of glad that it didn't because you take that whimsy out of The Hobbit and, and it really does lose a lot of its heart. Um... But that book is its own adventure story that takes it on so many levels. You have the levels of the Hobbit balancing his life, the titular character Bilbo balancing his life. You have the goofiness of the Lobelia Sackville Baggins incident. You have the silliness of uh, Tra-La-La-Lally elves, but you also have uh, real danger involved and the forest of Mirkwood with the giant spiders and and, and the cave, of, well not cave, but in the uh, chamber of Smaug you have the battle of five armies, you have pursuit by uh, goblins riding wargs and you have uh, a wizard that looms over everything and then you also have the deep and growing friendship bonds that grew within the group of, of uh, characters in that and then you also have the sadness of the loss of one of those characters. The death of Thorin really moved me when I first read the book, and it still moves me a little bit today because he's, he acknowledges that the simpler way of life is better than the one that is complicated by greed and gold and war. And that really is a lesson that carries me, carried me a lot through life. Uh, as I said before, I'm not an affluent man, but uh, and I honestly can say that I'm somehow strangely content not being. I mean, would I like a little more money? I'm not going to lie and say that I wouldn't, but that's not really my goal in life. I have been fortunate in finding a good wife. I And I'm telling you, she is great. Not only does she encourage, but she actively participates in the, all the same geeky stuff I'm into for the most part. She has her own things too, though. Um, so I, I've been blessed with that, and... I can take some comfort in that. Like I said, I enjoy settling down with a good book, and I can take comfort in that. So it, it really helped me understand what being content in life really was. But it also helped me understand that sometimes we have to take ourselves out of our comfort zone in order to grow as people. And I think that that is a truly important lesson for everybody, especially in the realm of geekiness. Um, I just recently started a Kilted Lantern Instagram page. 
And I put that off for years, even though I was dressing in the costumes and going to the conventions and stuff, because I enjoy costumes, always have since I was a kid. And it just kind of grew from there, went into historical reenactment, and then on into cosplay. Um, but I never had the confidence to think that anybody wanted to see that. And enough people talked me into it. And so I had to grow as a person by going outside of my comfort zone. And now here I am, I'm recording the first ever episode of the Kilted Lantern podcast. Also, much because people suggested that I do that, given the fact that all the conventions I would normally go to are um, not happening at the moment. Um, I I do do a uh, series of panels and discussions at, even lectures in some cases, at these various conventions on, on subjects ranging anywhere from Godzilla to cultures, to costuming, you, you name it. Um, and many of those aspects of my life were cemented through the works of Tolkien. Um, language and character building are two huge things in Tolkien's works that really motivated me to in, indulge in my interests on the matter. And I don't think I can be grateful enough to the legacy of the Tolkien estate for that. Um, and I don't want to bore anybody, and I do want to try to keeping this from being too serious, because at the end of the day, I can also just sit there and just geek out hardcore about watching the Lord of the Rings movies. Not so much the Hobbit movies, but, you know, the Hobbit movies are still better than a lot of things out there, so, you know, I'm going to give them that much. But I'm still capable of just hardcore geeking out. I mean... House Gilgalad for life. Um, I, I mean, I'm sitting here wearing a Lord of the Rings-inspired kilt pin, for crying out loud. The, the fandom aspect's not lost on me by simply trying to be intellectual or even deeply emotional on the matter. But, as with the opening uh, geeky lantern oath, and fandom's flame and nerdy light, let our passions now take flight. Embracing life with all our might, we are geeks, and we're all right. As geeks, we feel passionate about our interests. We fully throw ourselves into them because of that passion that we feel. We truly embrace life through the scope of our fandoms and interests and hobbies and whatever there might be that you want to incorporate into being a geek or a nerd. And that's okay. And, and that's part of who I am as a Tolkien fan. Um, I remember... Oh, must have been... I can't even tell you how many years ago. Through the Geek page, one of the uh, online communities that I admin for. It's a limited number, elitist geek kind of thing on Facebook. The Geek page. Um, and, and we're going to have some of the members of that particular group on here from time to time. But, as I was saying, though, one of the one of the things we do on there is a secret Santa, and I, I got, um, now bear in mind, I don't normally buy movie-based merchandise regarding Lord of the Rings. I'm coming around to it a little bit. But I ended up getting a miniature sting that I use right now as a letter opener on my desk. It really makes the uh, church office interesting. 
But then again, I also have a power sword of gray skull and the sword of omens on the wall, so I, I, I don't think anybody expects normal out of me. My congregation's a great group. Um, but anyhow, I, I remember opening that uh, after I got it in the mail, and I was just elated. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It was like being a little kid at Christmas time again. It's like, I'm holding Sting! I'm holding Sting! I'm holding Sting! Yeah, so... There's a level of geekiness that's brought up in all this, and I don't want to deny that. If Even if that's the deepest you go with your appreciation of Tolkien, do so. And if you haven't delved into Tolkien, I'm going to give you a little bit of a forewarning. Start with The Hobbit, especially if you're a fan of Harry Potter, because the Harry Potter books, they start simple and they get more complex. The Hobbit is your simple start. Then go into Lord of the Rings where it's more complex. And then round that out with the Silmarillion if you really, really, really enjoyed Lord of the Rings and just want more of that world. Um, chronologically, the Silmarillion comes first. And I'm not talking release order. I'm talking chronological as in storyline. But we're talking like the Old Testament compared to the Gospels. The Gospels are a lot simpler of a read. And the Old Testament's more of a challenge, but it's a lot... It's very rewarding. Well, in this case... The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings represent the Gospels. They're an easier read, um, as complex as they can get at times. They're an easier read, and The Silmarillion, it, it's mind-boggling. It's one of the only books that ever got me to tear up in my life. And, and, and I'll just leave it at that, because that's not what we're talking about at the moment. But if you're, especially if you're a fan of Harry Potter, definitely move forward through that chronology with uh, The Hobbit first, then followed by Lord of the Rings, and then The Silmarillion. And then you can go into the other stuff. But the, the reason you want to do that is because if you haven't stepped into Tolkien before, that's really where you want to begin. Because, see, the Jackson movies did such a great job of uh, capturing the essence of Middle-earth that a lot of the description time and it can just seem, and the books can just seem unnecessary or drug out. But I'm telling you, from a perspective of someone who read it the first time predating the movies, it truly truly helps to bring it a lot bring it to life and i highly recommend you find some good podcasts maybe to help you read along with or anything of that nature because i'm telling you it'll help you out with breaking it down and understanding it a little bit deeper if that's really your thing but you can also just take it as a surface fandom and, and just enjoy it so however you enjoy tolkien make sure you do that on the 22nd of this week uh 22nd of this month i'm sorry because Tolkien Day is a day worth celebrating, just as uh, Star Trek Day was and all that other stuff that I mentioned earlier. Well, I think I've uh, rambled on long enough about uh, Tolkien in my life. Um, and, I, and I did try to parse that out a, a little bit because I'm telling you, I, I, I am a raging addict. Um, but the next thing is that I want to move on to here... Um, let me uh, look it up here in my notes. Yes, yes, yes. The, dis uh, the discussion topic is done. Um, so we're going to move on to the next segment. Now this segment will also happen on a monthly basis. Um, it is the character spotlight. Now character spotlight can incorporate any fandom-oriented character. I'm going to try, though, to stick with characters that don't get enough love or that just tend to be written off as B or C list characters and try to draw them into the spotlight a little bit and maybe make you a little bit more interested in who they are and what they do. Um, now this one actually came to me as a suggestion from my wife, as I said, 
We have our own thing. She's a big X-Men fan. I, I enjoy X-Men, but she's a bigger fan than I am. And the character spotlight for this week, well, for this month, is Jubilee. Now, those of you who remember X-Men may not necessarily remember Jubilee fondly. In fact, many consider her an unnecessary character. However, I'm just going to start off with a short little uh, bit of information. We're going to move forward into the discussion as to why I think she needs just a little bit more appreciation. Jubilee was created by Chris Claremont and Mark Silvestri. Her name, Jubilation Lee, um, showed up the first time in her debut in Uncanny X-Men number 244 in May of 1989. Jubilee gets a lot of hate as being considered a pointless character, as we just discussed, and her abilities include pyrotechnic blasts and applying pyrotechnic charge to objects. Now, that charge is not as powerful as Gambit's or even as Control, but yet it's still there. And then another thing that she has, and I consider this more of a non-sequitur ability because it really doesn't seem to fit with any other aspect of it, but she has the ability to avoid detection from telepaths. And now over the years, she has been through the works, just like any other um, X-Men character. Um, she has been the number two in the New Warriors under the name of Wondra. And even turned into a vampire in The Curse of the Mutants. But she got better. And if you don't get that reference, again, this may not be the podcast for you. And she's had other, like, numerous other adventures that I can't even get into. Um, I remember seeing her, it was supposed to be Kitty Pride's wedding. And I'll save you the spoilers, but let's just say I have less respect for Kitty Pride now. Um, she appeared as a background character in that, and I believe that was in X-Men Gold. Might have been X-Men Blue, but I'm pretty sure it was Gold. And, anyhow, she tends to be paired up with Wolverine a lot, and I think that has a lot to do with her connection to um, him and her first real adventure, where she tries to save him from torture, of all things. Um, but her biggest role that everybody will really remember her from is the classic 90s television series. I believe it was 1992 when it first aired. Um, which also, by the way, that ended in September. It aired on Halloween of 1992 the first time. And September 20th of 1997. So there's another September date there for you. That was unintentional. just kind of came up that way. So, and within those five years... She served a very important role in the X-Men animated series, and the importance gets kind of undermined a little bit, but she was the an- oh, she was the analog for the audience. Um, and it, she was a teenager, she was discovering herself, she was discovering her new abilities, she was awkward, she was learning all this new stuff, so through her eyes we were learning who the X-Men were, for those who didn't already know. And really... That is her legacy, though, is so many people got introduced to the X-Men through her eyes to some degree. And the thing that made her character moving to me in that age category was that, again, she was going through a huge change in her life, and I don't know anybody that wasn't awkward at least a little bit in uh, their pubescent years, I'll, I'll put it that way. And I think that uh, she gets ignored a lot, but moreover, I also think that 
she gets hated on a lot, and that isn't fair. She's not my favorite character by any stretch. My favorite X-Men to this day will always be Nightcrawler. Um, and I, I'm talking about the classic Nightcrawler, not the one from X-Men Evolution, which was a series that followed afterwards where pretty much every character was an analog for the audience and ended up not being as successful as a result. Um, because, well, when one character does it in the form of Jubilee that isn't as powerful and doesn't live up to the abilities of all the others, helping us uh, cope with our own inadequacies as well, especially in our youth. One character does that, it's great. When the other characters do that, it just seems weird, especially when you have Wolverine with a teenage Jean Grey. Uh, I just can't even... makes my head hurt. But that being said, it's important, though, to understand that Jubilee, like I said, she gets a lot of hate. It's not really deserved, per se. Because, like I said, so many of us were introduced to the X-Men through her eyes. And I think she deserves a little bit of respect for that, if nothing else. I mean, they really nerfed her down in that series, too, to be fair. To help, again, with that audience analog thing. And if nothing else, you can always pick Jubilee out of a crowd. You you see the big spread shots of the X-Men. You look for the yellow jacket, the gaudy yellow jacket and the pink sunglasses, and you found Jubilee. And that being said, I think we're going to go ahead and start getting ready to wrap this uh, episode up. All right, if you liked what you listened to in this episode, be sure to uh, follow us here on Anchor or anywhere else we might happen to pop up. And if you have any topic suggestions, characters you'd like to see in the spotlight, or even kilt advice, please drop me a line at kiltedlantern at gmail.com. That is K-I-L-T-E-D-L-A-N-T-E-R-N at gmail.com. That's kiltedlantern, no spaces, no special characters, spelled like it sounds. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to remind you to keep your power ring charged, your pleats in the back, and stay geeky. Thank you.